It's kind of funny. I've had the idea for this podcast for a while now, but I just haven't been able to figure out how to articulate it or what to focus on. And a lot of the podcast episodes I've been making lately seem like they've been on these sort of harder, more difficult, more abstract topics. And that's probably because I tackled a lot of the easier topics earlier on, right? And now my brain has had more time to think and ponder this whole mold avoidance thing. But what finally crystallized the approach that I want to take for this episode was re-watching one of my favorite movies, Interstellar. And that movie definitely needs no introduction. All you guys have seen Interstellar. If you haven't, go watch it. It's it, it could be the best movie of all time. I mean, on so many different levels, right? It's kind of an IQ test to see how many levels of amazingness you can find in Interstellar, right? Like, if you know, you know, right? Anyway, um, I think that I can make a 45-minute episode only 10 minutes. Of course, I never do that. I'm sorry. Um, by using this movie as an analogy instead of trying to explain this to you. So one of the, you know, the, the, the heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching, amazing, you know, emotional part of the movie, of course, is the father-daughter story. I have two daughters myself, you know, but Cooper, the dad, leaves Murph, the daughter, when she's a kid. He's got to go out to space to try to save the world. Um, he finds out halfway through the journey that... Um, there was really no hope for the people left on earth. And the, the heart wrenching part is he, his daughter is like, did you know, dad, did you, did you leave me on purpose? And he can't communicate with his daughter to say, no, I didn't know I would have never left you because their communications break down. I mean, there's the emotions of this movie, just the time travel and everything. I, I won't summarize the whole plot because it's, it, it would take too long, but to make a very, 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 very long story short at the end of the movie, him and his daughter manage to save planet earth they save all the people on planet earth which was which was never really supposed to happen um the 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 mad scientist sort of genius guy in the movie kind of thought that it was impossible to save earth and that um only a little seed of humanity could be passed on to some other planet like a, a new little colony and that was like the tragedy the devastation of the movie as you find out that humanity actually can't be saved except for a few little embryos or whatever. Well, anyway, Cooper and Murph, his daughter, pull off the miracle. They they do save the, everybody on Earth through this really, really wild series of events. But the part that always has blown my mind is that at the end of the movie, Cooper, the dad, there's been some time travel challenges and problems and he managed to stay the same age but he missed his whole daughter's life she's 95 on her deathbed so he walks into the hospital room knowing that he left his 10 year old daughter she felt abandoned and by the way you're gonna like where this podcast is going or maybe you won't but it's it's definitely important and profound so just bear with me so he gets to her deathbed when she's 90 and um it's been a horrible life in a lot of ways for both of them because she's lived her whole life you know a whole human lifespan thinking her dad might have abandoned her you know and then finally you know realizing that he was helping her but never being able to see him and he lived his whole life not being able to tell her like I didn't mean to leave you you know it just this separation that just bends the mind you know it, it just bends my mind I remember the first time I saw this movie in Lake Tahoe before I was really sick with mold I don't know 20 years ago 15 years ago whatever 
And I was, I cried for like three hours after I saw the movie. And I was like, why am I crying? It's ultimately not the most sad movie I've ever seen. Not the most emotional. I think it's the father daughter piece in there. Like, I don't know. There's something just piercing about it that you just can't explain. Maybe it only happens to dads, but it seems to be a really popular movie. Anyway, here's where I'm going with this. The part that I've wrestled with about this movie for many, many years is why are they happy at the end of the movie, right? Like they did manage to save humanity, which is great, but why are they not mourning more? Why are they not, you know, processing and mourning the loss of their relationship and that basically after Cooper took off from Earth, he's really only going to see his daughter another 20 minutes of his whole life. You know, he visits her at the bedside when she's 90, she says no father should have to watch their kid die. So go off into space and be with this other space explorer. So he leaves. And so, I mean, I'm processing the gut-wrenching reality that, you know, what if I had to fly into space and never see my daughter again or only see her for 10 to 20 minutes? Like, I can't process it, but they're celebrating. And this is where I want to bring it back to mold avoidance. We have a tendency to think that the world owes us something or that the default position in humanity is that things will work out, right? And we want to just do mold avoidance, kind of get it over with, move on with our lives. And that's a lot of the people I talk to who are getting into mold avoidance, they see it sort of as like, I got to jump through these hoops. You know, I want to get to the other side so bad. But the reality is bad things happen, on planet earth to people. And that's kind of the default position, right? Like we always think it'll happen to someone else, right? I mean, that bad thing won't happen to me. Um, I remember when I was a kid, there was a horrible accident at an air show where a plane in Reno crashed into the crowd at the Reno air races, which I used to go to a lot. Cause I grew up in Tahoe. I wasn't, at th- I wasn't there when this disaster happened, this plane crashed into the crowd and it killed 10 people. And one little boy who I actually knew saw his dad die on the field, on the tarmac in this airfield. Sorry for the gruesome details. I should have said, you know, warning, trigger warning, whatever. But I thought as a kid, oh, that's horrible for him, but it'll never happen to me, right? We just sort of think that. And the truth is that mold really, really messes up our bodies. It really messes us up. And we aren't entitled to an easy way out, right? There's not necessarily an easy way out. And I know this is sort of depressing so far, but I'm going to bring it to something positive. We are not entitled to an easy way out. A lot of people don't find an easy way out in life at all. They, they never do. They, they die of cancer. Something like that happens. We're not entitled to an easy way out. It's, it's sometimes hard or sometimes not at all. So I think the reason and and just bear with me we're going to get we're going to get to the to, to the point here the reason that cooper and murph the father and daughter are so happy to see each other is because they know it could have been so much worse they know it could have been so much worse right like he could have never gotten off the planet they could have never figured out how to save humanity you know they could have died of suffocation this movie is about planet earth you know fictionally dying in the future and the earth runs out of resources and humans are supposed to suffocate and die, right? They are looking at it as it could have been so much worse, but it's better than it could have been. We saved humanity. We get to see each other one last time. And 
instead of like, oh my gosh, it could have been so much better. We could have lived life together. We could have both flown off the earth and the spaceship and been together, whatever, right? It, it, it's a perspective. They were aware that by all measurements, even, even the dad, the mad scientist, a different dad, not Cooper, the mad scientist who was Brand's dad, who sort of figured out the plan to leave Earth, even he didn't believe in his own plan. He thought Earth was doomed and the only hope was to save a small little colony. He had given up hope. And, and he wasn't wrong to do so. By all scientific measures, hope was lost, right? But Cooper and Murph, and you know what's so amazing to me? I only just realized this tonight watching the movie and I might have missed it if I hadn't already had this thought for this podcast episode in my mind trying to come to fruition. I, I was I, I think I was like, you know, had this on the tip of my tongue. So I recognized it in the movie. It's the first time I've seen it. I've probably seen the movie 10 times. This is the first time I've recognized it in that scene. They knew they had sort of cheated death or cheated a bad outcome and pulled it off. You know, another example would be um, if you were in a horrible car crash, right? Horrible car crash and you walked away from it. And let's say you had a lot of damage and you broke your legs and maybe you're in a wheelchair for a long time, you know, but you're like, man, all the doctors said, I shouldn't survive this. I'm a miracle. I'm a walking miracle, right? A lot of people have been through that. They go on to do amazing things. It's like that guy with no arms and no legs who does motivational speeches and stuff. You know, you guys have all seen that guy, the guy with no arms and no legs that's gone viral on YouTube. We look at that and we're like, how can that guy be happy? How can he be happy? But there's something about beating the odds and being faced with that humility of your own demise or what should have been your own demise that allows you to sort of have this renewed perspective and beat the odds and, and have, a, have a glass half full rather than glass half empty mentality. And that's what Murph and Cooper were feeling at the end of Interstellar, in my opinion, is there was so much loss that happened throughout the movie loss. And, and, you know, of course the directors made it this way on purpose to be a gut wrenching emotional movie. I'm not saying it's really a real story. I'm just saying that the way the movie's put together, there's so much loss and sadness, but, but through it all. And I, I can't believe I never saw this through it all. And especially at the end, they knew that they somehow still pulled off a miracle. And that's all they could focus on because it's so, you know, when they were faced with certain death on earth, this is so much better than that. The outcome is still so much better. And this is the first time, maybe because of my mold avoidance experience, that I appreciated that. And I actually ended the movie feeling a lot better about my life and everything. Because that movie sometimes just, oh, I just can't handle it. The emotion of just leaving my daughter when she's 10, her thinking that I abandoned her for 90 years, right? And then only getting 10 minutes at the end to say, hey, actually, I didn't abandon you, right? I can't even, I can't even. But this time I could, I was like, I get it. Okay, so 11 minutes in, let me tell you how this applies to mold avoidance. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but mold avoidance is kind of a lifetime's worth of work. It's a lifetime's worth of work. It's not something you just do and then you move on. I haven't met anyone who's been able to do that. Everyone I know who succeeded with mold avoidance still has to obey the laws of mold avoidance, even five, 10 years past them doing it. Now, they may recover a lot of their health and their core health. And so they don't have to avoid mold as much as they used to, of course. But that doesn't mean they're not obeying the rules of mold avoidance. It just means that the rules of mold avoidance have changed for them because they've recovered. There's not an escape from 
the rules of mold avoidance. Just like the person who was supposed to be paralyzed and, you know, had a spinal injury. And after years and years of physical therapy and, you know, all this stuff, they, they finally can walk a little bit and they're wobbly, but they're walking, right? It's not that they, it's not that they escaped science. It's just that they recovered, right? So I'm not saying this is hopeless. It's very hopeful. But what I'm saying is mold avoidance will destroy you psychologically if you think that the the perfect story or or the happiest possible progression is what we deserve or what should happen because then we're just going to be comparing ourselves to it should have been like this that's why if murph and cooper the father and the daughter in the movie were just focusing on you know, that they lost seeing each other for those years or, you know, their loss, it would be unbearable. But you don't even see that at all. You know, when when Cooper walks out of the room of the hospital bed and, and Murph says, no father should have to watch their daughter die. So go take the spaceship and be with this other girl named Brand. There's like no sadness or no like, like mourning. And I that's always bothered me. I'm like, why couldn't the directors just put in like two damn minutes, two minutes of them just crying and saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe I never get to see you again. It's been so crazy. You know, I'm like, I just need that like catharsis, that like release of seeing them um, mourn what they've lost. And I'm not saying they never do mourn it. Maybe they, maybe they do. We don't really know, but I just, it's always bothered me, but I think I finally get it. And what, what has helped me get it is mold avoidance. And it's that we are, like Murph and Cooper on a dying doomed planet. And I'm not trying to get into the environmentalism here and say we're ruining our planet with all these toxins. I don't really know. I'm not a scientist. I'm not sure about global warming. I, I'm, I don't know. I, I plead the fifth on that topic. I more talk about in our own personal lives. Stop looking at the world outside and just look in the mirror, right? A chemotherapy patient who has terminal cancer, it doesn't help them to look out at someone who doesn't have cancer. That's that's not helpful to go, oh yeah, well, they don't have cancer. Well, you do, you know, to this chemotherapy patient. You do. You have this problem. It's not helpful. So go look in the mirror and look at the trajectory that your life was on before mold avoidance. It was really bad. You were getting sicker every year. I always like to say, what would a third person person third party say about your health you know because we're so optimistic we're probably like you know i know i was i'm not really getting that much worse every year i there will be a good ending it'll it's coming it's happy somehow we'll figure out our way out of this chronic illness right but then in retrospect i'm like "Mm, actually that didn't work out so well i was getting worse every year and that's just kind of how it is to be a human right we don't like to talk about it because we we want to believe that it would happen to someone else and not us but that's kind of how it is to be a human is a lot of bad stuff happens and it does eventually happen to us too. And so this perspective change, um, there's, there's a lot of truth to how mindset is powerful. A mindset can be very, very powerful. And in mold avoidance, it's especially powerful because it's not an easy road. It's not a fast road. It's not a road that you just conquer and move on. It's not like a video game where you beat the game and then you turn it off and play a different game. Mold avoidance is kind of a lifelong thing to one degree or another. And so having the perspective that we are Murph and Cooper and somehow we beat all the odds and we escaped certain death is somehow invigorating and 
And, and there's, a, there's, there's a, a joy that can be found in that. And was there sacrifice? Was there loss? Did we get financially devastated? Did we, get, did we lose our ability to go to cities that we really wanted to go to? You know, just like Murph and Cooper lost a whole lifetime together. And not, not only that, they lost the ability to connect and communicate and have consensus on the fact that they didn't leave each other on purpose. You know, there was a lot of bitterness and resentment. I can't even imagine. Um, so at the end of the day... Mold avoidance is just this little escape hatch that says to you and me or people who have found success with mold avoidance or who react to mold and can get better by using principles of mold avoidance. It's a little escape hatch that most people never get. Most people who encounter the kinds of severe health problems that we used to have um, they never get that escape hatch. And we, our optimism and our you know, human nature would like to think that they do, but they don't. And we probably wouldn't have either if we hadn't found this. It, it's a miraculous little escape hatch. And that's why I've been able to transcend personally a lot of the anguish that's, that mold avoidance causes. I mean, let's be honest, you know, just like I, like I said, the financial, the instability, the, the relationship loss, all these things that are really, really horrible. And I can't say, and I'm not saying like I transcended and I never mourn or cry or weep or, or count my loss or have really hard days where I'm like, I can't go on. I can't do this anymore. Of course I do. I do. I definitely do. But the, the prevailing emotion the prevailing sentiment has been, and this is also much thanks to mentors who have taught me this. My mindset was so screwed up that I was like the the other, the alternate Murph and Cooper who, who would be just like crying and unbearable and being like, this, how did this happen to us? You know, I had to be transformed into the Murph and Cooper that were portrayed in the movie, which is that they, they weren't feeling those emotions of sadness and loss. They, they were smiling and laughing and connecting in that final scene. And I finally understand why. But it, it's a process to transform into that. I don't expect you to do it overnight. It is a process. It takes time. Um, but I mean, let's face it. Those people who are in the cancer hospitals right now, they didn't think it was going to happen to them either. They're real people, by the way. They're not just someone else who's out there. They're not NPCs. If you know what an NPC is, you probably have a teenage kid or you watch a lot of uh, media that's for younger people. But, you know, they're not NPCs. They're, they're real people in, uh, in those hospitals that, that may never see the outside of a hospital again. They, ne- they may never. And, you know, one of the, I'll, I'll get a little personal here to kind of bring this home, but one of the things that I lost when I was really, really mold sick, and it's hard to articulate what this is because I don't really know what, what words there are for it, but it's a sense of vitality and calmness and a serene awareness of my surroundings. And I'm sure a lot of you guys can relate to this because a lot of mold illness causes, you know, sensory issues and great levels of anxiety and depression and panic and insomnia. And, you know, I lost, the, I guess the best way to describe it, and, and this is very simplistic, it, it, it's going to be different for different situations and people, but this is just one little little picture is, you know, before I got really sick, um, I could go on a hike and I could breathe the fresh air and I could look at the sunset and I could experience just a sense of presence and calmness and and solidness and awareness of the world around me and and just a sense of being alive and being at peace with myself and with the world. And that was taken with me due to the 
biologically devastating effects of mold illness. You know, it's such a gaslighting, put down, horrible offense when someone says, oh, you have PTSD, PTSD. I'm like, I do not have PTSD. I have TSD, right? Like mold sick people have TSD. They don't have post-traumatic stress disorder. They have traumatic stress disorder. They're not better. They're, that's why, you know, the whole, I had a loved one tell me once, you know, and they were just trying to help me. I'm not resentful about it. I know they were trying to help me. They're like, oh, you need to see a counselor. No matter what your suffering is, it'll help. It'll help. It didn't help at all when I was that sick, right? Like it's like, if you go to a fiery car crash and you tell the person who's, you know, bleeding out on the road and and the ambulance is on their way, you're like, oh, you should just, you should just go to counseling or think about, you know, whatever thought therapy. It doesn't, no, no, no. They, that's a, that's offensive. That, if you said that to someone who's in a critical situation, it would be horribly offensive. And it's even more offensive saying it to a mold sick person because at least any average onlooker knows that a fiery car crash is really dangerous and we better get this person help. But to mold sick people, people don't even get the validation that they're really sick. They get this invalidation. And then to add you know, insult to injury, they get told you, sh- you have PTSD and you should go get counseling. Oh, it just drives you crazy, right? So... I lost that sense of connection to the world. And I'm not talking about a spiritual sense or like, you know, anything like that. I'm talking about just literally physically my brain being able to exist in the world and smell the roses and look at the sunset and read a book and, you know, just have any kind of satisfaction. I was just my all my my mold symptoms when I was really sick were were, you know, brain symptoms. And some people don't have that as much. They have more chronic fatigue and they can't get out of bed. Um, mold affects people differently. So, you know, that's been one of the most amazing things about mold avoidance for me and probably for you guys. And I never really expected to get this back. When I set off to do mold avoidance, I did not think that was going to come back. I thought, oh, well, yeah, maybe I'll get enough function back that I can sort of be a miserable human being, but still raise my kids. That's how sick I was. Um, I was like, I'll probably still just be miserable for the rest of my life, but at least I can raise my kids. So when I discovered that I could actually get my brain back, my, my brain, my thinking, my feeling, my smelling, my seeing, um, you know, through mold avoidance, I was like, this is, this is a, this is not supposed to happen. (laughs) Like this is not, people don't get this kind of second chance. Right. And so I have a question for you guys. And this hopefully will will help boost your morale and recalibrate your uh, mindset perspective. I have a question for you guys. And this this is funny because it sort of is the same thing as jealousy um, or greed. You know, uh, if you look at your right side neighbor and they have a better car than you and you look at your left side neighbor and they have a worse car than you, why do we always compare to the guy with a better car? And we always say, oh man, I wish I was richer. I wish I had that car. I wish I had that financial security. I wish I had that, you know, whatever, that better job that I like. Why don't we compare ourselves to the starving kid in Africa who literally has nothing? You know, that's what I'm trying to say here. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, it, it's, it's just human nature that we somehow think we're entitled to a good life and that everyone else suffers, or, you know, all those people that suffer out there are NPCs, non-player characters, like people that don't matter, people in the cancer ward, people get in car accidents, that that shouldn't be us. And we should compare ourselves to, you know, Oprah and Steve Jobs and people who have, or that's even too extreme, just whoever, the guy, the neighbor next door that's healthier than you or has a little more money or whatever. It's just human nature to compare to that. But, but my question for you is, 
when you think about your health and your health journey, um, why do you only compare yourself to the person who's healthy and seems to have everything together, right? Why don't you compare yourself to the cancer patient who feels so out of control that, he, that, you know, they don't know anything about chemo and radiation. They don't know what if the doctors are doing the right thing. Nobody really knows. Even the doctors don't know if they're going to survive. I've heard that from cancer patients. They're, they feel so out of control. You know, they, they feel like, you know, they, they have to have such amazing resilience because even if they go into remission, they have to go get a checkup every six months to see if the cancers come back. Could you imagine? I can't imagine living like that. Maybe that's why God didn't give me that problem, cancer, because I don't think I could do that. I think he would just destroy me. But like, could you imagine knowing you have like three months to go till your next checkup and you might have the cancer come back and you, you might die. You might have to go to the hospital and live out your last days in, in chemo and radiation and agony and then die. Right. And, and I'm, I'm being graphic on purpose here. Just, just don't be such a wuss. All right. Just be brave here. Be brave during this podcast. Why do we not compare ourselves to that? I mean, with mold avoidance, at least we have self-sovereignty, right? We can decide how much mold avoidance to do to make ourselves as well as we we can be. And I know, I know, I get it. There's a lot of new toxins out there. It's hard. You run out of money, you know, whatever. I get all that. I get all that. But but we still can. It's within our power to do it. I've I've known mold avoiders many, many, many who have been single and poor and, you know, living on their last last dollar, and they still manage to get a lot more recovery by sleeping in their car and driving around and doing whatever they have to do to have a lot of their life back, or at least a lot of their brain and their, you know, they, they have a second chance. They, even just getting another five years on this planet is a second chance. What if they come out with a miracle cure for mold illness in five years, right, that we don't have access to now? Just the opportunity to survive for another five years is privilege, right? It is a privilege that many people do not enjoy. It is a privilege that many people do not enjoy. And I would submit to you humbly that a lot of the discomfort of mold avoidance is cultural, and I know, I know, I'm going to get knives, arrows thrown at me. This is going to be, you guys are going to get mad about this. But, but just think about it. A lot of the discomfort of mold avoidance is cultural in nature. In, in, in um, not nature like being outside, but cultural in principle. And here's what I mean. I remember the first few times I slept in my truck Right. And, and I thought like, this is so horrible. I'm just a homeless bum. I'm sleeping in the back of my truck. Um, but it really wasn't that bad. It wasn't as bad as, as people make it out to be. And a lot of the sacrifices and the weird things we do in mold avoidance are really not that bad. Um, at least compared to the rest of the world. Right. I mean, we could still go to the emergency room if we have a, a, a medical emergency and they have to treat us even if we don't have the money. Right. We have that security. We could still call 911 if we, need to, we can still, you know, almost everybody can at least eat and have food. Um, and it's at least to some degree, you know, we have social safety nets. If you make zero money, you get food stamps, whatever. Um, we, we have a lot of stuff like that in America. If you live in America or, you know, first world country, there are literally people out there in the world who they don't, they don't know their next meal. They can't get antibiotics. They're going to die of a simple bacterial infection. Um, you know, they have gangs and, and, and 
cartels that kidnap their mom and she's, you know, taken away and they never see her again. It's, it's, it's not that bad guys. I mean, mold avoidance really isn't that bad. And, and I know, I know that some of you guys are like getting mad now saying, Oh, you have, you had it easier than me. I will tell you that the, the sentiment that someone else had it easier than you is part of the process. Uh, you guys might not believe this now because now you see me as the guy who had it easier than you. And I didn't believe it either. But when I was in my deepest, darkest mold avoidance hour, I remember resenting a lot of the experienced mold avoiders who were trying to help me. I resented them. I was like, I was like, you know, they had a bit easier than me. There's something about how intense the intensification process is that really takes you to the end of your rope, all the way to the end of your rope, right? And it's easy to compare who has it easier, which mold avoiders have it easier. Oh, you didn't have to deal with this. You didn't have to deal with that. Again, it's just the same thing as life, right? Like even healthy people compare themselves to the neighbors that have it better than them. They never compare themselves to the neighbors that have it worse. It's the exact same thing. Right. I mean, we could compare ourselves to anyone at any time over any anything. And and the truth is, let's be honest, everyone cal- calibrates and adjusts to their own situation and can become depressed no matter how good they have it. This is why celebrities have, um, you know, a high suicide rate and high depression and all the drug use and all the stuff. Celebrities, we look at them and we're like, you idiot, you already made $40 million in all these movies. Why don't you just retire? Stop making movies, you know, live off the the, the passive income and just be happy, right? Well, you, you can't, that's not human nature. So it doesn't really matter who has it easier or harder in mold avoidance because it's not human nature to sit down, shut up and be optimistic. It's human nature to be pessimistic. So <clears throat> that attitude adjustment for me is what really does the heavy lifting of surviving and thriving in mold avoidance is um, being like Murph and Cooper in at the end of Interstellar in the scene that has boggled my mind for years where, you know, he's seeing his daughter for what is the first and the last time ever, basically, since she was 10. I mean, if you think about the profundity, yes, profundity is a word. I'm a, I'm a nerd. If you think about the profundity of that scene, it's just mind boggling, right? He hasn't seen his daughter in 80 years and he's never going to see her again. So there's this moment in time where he sees his daughter one time he hasn't seen her in 80 years he's never going to see her again and oh by the way to make it even worse for the last 80 years his daughter has questioned if he left her to die and he has had no way to communicate with her to say no i didn't do that right i mean the the um, the emotion is so intense it's it's i still cried tonight when i watched this movie don't tell anyone all right i i but for them to be able to find the joy in that moment anyway and, and almost be overwhelmed by it and just continuing to move forward is all about perspective. They could have focused on the bad, the failures, the things that went wrong, or they could focus on, wow, you know, somehow father and daughter, we still pulled this off together. We saved humanity. We, t- we were a team. And yeah, we went through a lot of hard shit. I mean, you can't say that your mold avoidance has been harder than what Murph and Cooper went through. You can't tell me that it's been harder, right? You can't say that your the most suffering person in the world and that nobody has it harder than you. You you just can't say that. Now, one thing that is true about mold avoidance, and I will give you this, I will, I will relent this point is that most people in first world society 
do not have to deal with the kind of harsh realities that mold avoiders have to deal with on a lot of levels. It doesn't need explaining. You guys already know what I'm talking about. Um, we, we're sort of like living like this alternate reality, this like primitive struggles for survival. And a lot of the amenities and guarantees and, and comforts and, you know, stability of the modern world doesn't really work for us or help us out or apply to us. I get that. I do get it. I'm not saying it's easy. I never said Murph and Cooper's life was easy either. I never said that. I never said that. I, on the contrary, I said it was so unimaginably hard that I can't believe they're not mourning and grieving more, right? So the point here isn't that it's easy. I'm not trying to make light of how it is. I'm just trying to pass back. I'm using the analogy from Interstellar. The way that he was able to communicate with Murph was through gravity, which would which could apparently transcend time and speak to earlier people. I'm trying to pass back something I've learned to you who is presumably needing the wisdom or or not as far along as me or else you wouldn't be listening to this podcast, right? You'd be like, this is boring. I already know this stuff. I'm just trying to pass back a little kernel of insight that I've, that I have now. Okay. And, and it's not that I'm so smart and wonderful and, and wise and brilliant. A lot of this stuff was taught to me or learned the hard way. It's just that I'm trying to pass down or back a little kernel that is a mindset shift that you have to go through to survive hard things. And it almost doesn't really matter what the hard thing is that you're dealing with. You know, again, you've seen those stories of the guy who was supposed to be paralyzed and he spent all these years in rehab and, you know, walking little baby steps to try to get back on his feet. We all look at that and we're like, how could he do that, right? But he has this positive attitude that nobody can believe. And that's what what pulls him through. But what makes it even better, I think, is that we actually have a lot more hope and a lot more control than a lot of really, really sick people. Because let's let's face it, at the end of the day, <clears throat> even if we are living in you know a campsite or, or a rental house to rental house to rental house because they keep going bad or whatever, whatever we have to do to survive, whatever it is, you know, I don't I don't like to be. Um, prejudice on different ways of doing mold avoidance. If rental houses work, do rental houses. If Airbnbs work, do Airbnbs. I'm not, you know, prejudiced to to your style. But at the end of the day, we have a way forward. It might be gruesome. It might be hard. It might be unthinkable. But we at least have it. Where some of those guys who are fighting paralysis and who got, you know, paralyzed and they can't walk or whatever example you want to pick, they, they don't, they probably don't actually have a way to walk again ever in their lifetime. But they still fight like cats and dogs. And that's why, I don't know, did I mess that saying up? It's back to midnight. This is my typical midnight podcast recording time when I'm half delirious, half asleep. But that's why um, I just think that, you know, it, 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 I'll, I'll quote, I'll give you, I'll leave you guys a quote. One of the mold avoidance quotes of wisdom that I heard from someone that um, really stuck with me that I think is amazing, right? I memorize these quotes I, and not because I have a good memory, but just because they're like so life-changing. And, and this was a quote that at the time was so ridiculously profound to me. But what I realize is that it's actually not that profound at all. It's more just that it was challenging my conventional American status quo you know, way of thinking. And, and it's hard to break out of that way of thinking. Even the most thoughtful and aware, intentional people is, are still pretty, pretty brainwashed. But 
um, this person said they were an experienced mold avoider, you know, making progress healing. And they said, oh, well, and I'm paraphrasing here. I don't remember exactly. They said, oh, well, yeah, it's an easy, an easy trade to give up stable housing or stability to, to exchange for health, for healing. And immediately when I heard it, I was like, that's true. That's correct. Um, but, but I, I, and I was kind of like, how come I didn't think of that? You know, because it's like society, our whole society is literally built around stability. Um, you know, we have insurance for insurance for insurance. Why do we pay for health insurance and car insurance and house insurance and fire insurance and all this stuff? It's because we, as a society are trying to insulate ourselves from any kind of uncertainty or instability. We, we just have, have come to this conclusion that that's the purpose of life is to, is to minimize, you know, uncertainty. And even though we have the highest rates of depression and obesity and unhappiness and substance abuse, we still don't question it. We still think, oh, well, yeah, of course, the, the goal of life is to minimize, you know, uncertainty and instability. It's probably really the elite ruling class wealthy people that want all of the peons and minions and lay people and tiny poor people to be stable so that they can be controlled more easily. But that's a conspiracy theory for another day. You know, but the idea that it's worth exchanging shelter for health or I don't mean shelter. I mean, like, you know, consistent, stable month to month lease, whatever. Um, It's it's an obvious answer, right? We're like, oh, yeah, of course, of course. In fact, some of our favorite movie characters who we wish we were like, or we at least wish we had their adventure, are often people with no stability, right? I mean, think of all the action movies and adventure movies like The Hobbit, where there's no stability at all. And they're on this wild, crazy adventure, right? We crave that adventure. But when it finally finds us, we're like, oh, I don't want this. This is horrible. It's too hard, right? You see what I'm saying? But in case you don't know and you haven't thought through the statement about exchanging shelter for health, let me break it down for you. You're not stupid. You just haven't thought about this as much as I have, okay? Um, Because it took me a while to digest that statement. I mean, at the end of the day, our body and our health is our most important earthly asset. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, spirituality and a relationship with God, of course, I believe in God, I have a relationship with God, and that is my most important spiritual asset. But our most important earthly asset is our body and and our ability to function and move through the world. Um, That's our most important earthly asset. And and shelter comes, shelter goes, houses come, houses go. To, To even have the opportunity to make the exchange, if you want to, stability for health is something, again, that so many people don't have access to. They don't have that opportunity at all. They, they, they will never have it, no matter what they, they think they should have. You know, going back to that thing that we think we're entitled to have a good life. Um, they, they, it doesn't matter if they think they're entitled to it. They still will never get it back. The cancer patient, the paralyzed person, they still are never going to get it back, no matter what they think they're entitled to. So the fact that we even have the optionality of trading some degree of stability, at least for some period of time, to get a miraculous recovery is already ahead of a large percentage of society. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the percentage is. I don't know what the percentage of society is that's paralyzed or has chronic illness or has, you know, cancer, multiple sclerosis, things that things that just don't really get reversed. I don't know what the percentage of society is, but I'll tell you it's millions, millions. And if you 
have $500 in your bank account and you live in the United States and you can do mold avoidance in a car, you know, living off of gas station crackers, you're still better off than probably 50% of the world, 50% of the world who are either chronically sick, have cancer, have some other debilitating condition, live in a third world country, you know, are ruled by some sort of tyranny or something, you know, it's just a fact. So we have to break out of our cultural little, and you know, I mean, the bottom line guys, and you know, this, you know, what I'm about to say is true is that a lot of those people who we admire or are jealous of for their stability and their money and their, you know, whatever, a lot of them aren't as healthy as, as, as they, as they think they are, right. They might even have mold illness or some sort of chronic degenerative problem. Um, it's not, the grass is not as green as, as you think it is all the time. Um, and that's just, that just goes without saying, right? I mean, that's, that's the whole reason that jealousy exists in the world is because people think that someone else has it better. Even the people that we think have it better, they think someone else has it better. Have you ever found out that somebody, you know, ended their life and you're like, I would have never guessed that that guy had this kind of depression. And it's the saddest thing ever. You're like, oh, I could have never seen that coming. Um, I just found out that a couple that I know um, is struggling with a lot of marital problems that I never, ever, ever expected them to have. I, I mean, it came, I was like literally the last person I would have ever guessed was having marital problems. Um, so that, that the whole idea that there even is a better out there is, is kind of an illusion. You know, there's not really a better out there. Everyone's on their own path. They acclimate to their own path to where that becomes normal. And they just walk their life. They just, they just do their own thing. You know, it's like Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk. He's a, he's a serial entrepreneur, public speaker. I really like him. He's just kind of an inspirational guy. You know, he says, how dare we judge someone else? We have not walked a mile in their shoes. So uh, this is a pretty raw, primal, visceral talk we're having right now, right? This is not a comfortable talk. This is facing the hard issues of life. We would much rather not have this talk. We would rather have, you know, independence and security and stability and financial security and just be able to take care of ourselves. And if you really want to get deep with me, You can sign off now if you don't want to get deep. But if you really want to get deep for the last five minutes of this delirious midnight podcast, um, this is what the Bible says about human existence. It says that the whole fall of man in the Garden of Eden was basically because we wanted self-reliance. We wanted to be like God. We wanted to be not taken care of by God, but we wanted to be God. We, we had this ego, this pride that we wanted, um, to, to be what we're not basically. And, and that's, that's kind of how all this boils down, right? It is that everyone feels that not just mold avoiders. Um, the, the guy in the, in the house next to you, who, who has what you want, he feels it too. Trust me, you know, or if he doesn't today, he will tomorrow. And, um, (laughs) It's it's kind of like my one of my favorite quotes from uh, the movie Tombstone. Great movie. I'm sure you guys, if you've seen it, you understand how great that movie is. Uh, you know, with um, I can't remember his name. It's on the tip of my tongue. The actor. Um, but 
why it says to Doc Holliday, uh, I just want a normal life. And Doc says, there is no normal life, Wyatt. There's just life. I love that. There is no normal life, Wyatt. There's just life. Um, Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer is who plays Doc Holliday in that movie. But there is no normal life. There's just life. And and this is the life that we have. And we're going to give up some stuff. It's going to be hard. Um, but we have a shot at finding a, cl- a clear location, detoxing our body, and giving ourselves a second chance at life. And this is also why um, you might not make progress as fast as you want because you're not really entitled to have to decide how much damage mold did to you, right? You don't get to pick and say, mm, I kind of actually don't think, I think that now that I've figured out that mold avoidance is, is the answer, I should just be able to get through it quickly. Maybe not. Maybe you shouldn't get through it quickly and maybe you won't. And maybe you'll be a mold avoider for your whole life. You don't get to make up the rules. I'm sorry to say. Um, but if you recognize that not everyone gets a second chance, um, then, then I think you'll be a lot better off. And, and this is just a universal lesson that I think all humans need to learn, um, is, is just that there is no perfect out there. There is no normal life. Um, and there's always someone out there who's going to have it better off than you and worse off than you. And I think that the things that we give up as mold avoiders, except for the family and friends and cities, you know, places we want to be, that's pretty much bad all around. But a lot of the other things that we give up don't really matter that much. They, they just don't. They, I'm sorry, they just don't. Um, so anyway, I hope that's been uh, helpful for you guys. And as usual, you know, I'm not perfect. I might have said some offensive stuff in here. I might not understand you perfectly. I'm not your wife. I'm not your husband. I don't know you. I don't know what you need to hear. Um, but hopefully it's been, it's been encouraging. This, this podcast was a little bit more focused on mindset than it was on practical mold avoidance. But at the end of the day, mindset's probably the biggest challenge in mold avoidance. It probably actually is if, if you boil it down, because, um, it's not so much that going through the motions of mold avoidance are really all that hard physically. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, doing the tour de France or, you know, winning a Nobel prize and inventing a new molecule or discovering a new molecule, right? We're, we're not talking about anything that hard. The hardest part of mold avoidance really is the anguish we go through as the direction of our life is different than we thought it would be. And so mindset is probably the most important mold avoidance skill of all. Thanks for listening, guys. Just my normal disclaimer that I am not a doctor. Right now, I'm just a very tired, regular guy who wants to go to bed. And anything I say in this podcast is not for medical advice. If you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician, not this podcast.